The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll remain standing this evening for uh, the reading of God's Word, we come again to the book of Exodus. Uh, This evening we are coming to Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 uh, through verse 29. This is the word of our God. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twine linens, Uh, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spice for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastplate. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen. The table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for light with its utensils and its lamps. And the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen of the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its, uh, with its grating of, of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, uh, the hanging of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs for the tabernacle and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons. For their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stone and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense." All the men and the women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord commanded by Moses to be done, it as a, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together this evening. Indeed, Father, your law is perfect. And we come to your word this evening again, seeking that you would show us your son and that you would conform us into his image. We pray that you would do just that by your spirit now. And we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, I think we could truly say that we have come to the beginning, really to the beginning of the end of the book of Exodus. As we come to chapter 35, we have transitioned from the the somewhat brief pericope that is in the text from, from chapter 30. Two, all the way through chapter 34, and even we have transitioned not just away from that, but also from the text that came before it, which described for us uh, the instructions, really gave us the blueprints of the tabernacle. Then, of course, after the blueprints of the tabernacle, what we just mentioned, we saw the episode with the golden calf, the sin of Israel, and then, of course, most wonderfully, we saw the covenant renewal that God, that God brought, apart, uh, brought about in chapters 33 and 34 through the work of the mediator Moses. And now as we come to chapter 35 and really all the way almost to the very end of the book as we reach the very end of this section in chapter 39, we find not the instructions for the tabernacle but the construction of the tabernacle. And of course that sets the stage for that most ultimate display of God's grace really anywhere in the book which happens in chapter 40 when the Lord descends upon the tabernacle in his glory. So we have arrived at the beginning of the end. And interestingly as we come to this particular section of the beginning of the end of the book of Exodus we find something that is really quite unusual in the book of Exodus, if you think about it for a moment. You note that the text before us does something which really no other part of Exodus does. If you think about it for a moment, the book of Exodus has shown us really two things over and over and over again. It showed us first the glory and the grace of the Lord God of Israel. From beginning to end, the Exodus displayed to us God's redemptive purpose towards his people. It shows us his grace. It shows us how wonderfully he loves his people and what links he's willing to go to to deliver them and to dwell in their midst. But of course, that's the positive thing that the book of Exodus has shown us. More negatively, the book of Exodus has also shown us, as it's shown us the grace and the glory of God, the misery really and the disappointing Reality, which is Israel's behavior towards God. We have seen really right through the book that at every turn, the people of Israel are like an obstinate mule being drugged by Yahweh to their own salvation. They have complained against God from the time they were in the land of Egypt through the wilderness, and even, of course, in that most ultimate act of rebellion, they rebelled against him at the very base of Mount Sinai as he sought to enter into that most intimate form of covenant communion with them. We've seen Israel really painted in a less than flattering light throughout the book. And for no other reason than that, this passage before us is somewhat interesting. 
Because in this passage, we find one of the very rare examples in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel actually seem to do something right. You notice that. The focus of this chapter is not upon the obstinance of Israel, it's not upon their rebellion, but it's upon their generosity. You you know that it's remarkable in that sense that here, after all that they have gone to, the, the nation, at least for the time being, seems to have turned something of a corner. And it's interesting to contemplate what exactly has happened to the people of Israel. What has created this generosity of heart which we see displayed here in our text? What has made them so willing to give of the best that they have to make contributions for the tabernacle of the Lord? And as we seek to answer that question this evening, I simply would suggest to you that what has happened in this text is that the people of God are responding to the grace of God. I want to say that again. What we see in this text, and I think the lesson that we can learn from it as we observe their activities here, is simply that the people of God, in response to the abundant grace of God towards them, have returned, as it were, towards Him, and that has manifested itself in their selfless generosity. Simply the point of this text is that God's abundant grace is the root of the generosity of his people. Now you may ask the question, well, how do we see that? And we see that in a number of ways, and we'll look at that this evening. We see it first from the context in which we find the text, and we'll speak more about that later. But we also see it by certain implications that we can draw from the text itself. But even as we study this text in the context and we start to seek to, to pull out from what is really right underneath the surface by implication of what's going on in the text, what we can learn today is simply the same lesson that the people of Israel seem to have learned at this point, at least for a time in their national history, and that is simply this, that God has been good to his people. And that as God's people seek to respond to the goodness of God, we must do so with a willingness and with a selfless generosity, not only towards one another, but towards the work of the Lord in this world. So let's begin then by first considering the roots of the generosity of God's people. I want to start that by just looking very briefly at verses 4 and following. As we come to that text, we see that Moses here is speaking to the congregation. He says to all the congregation of the people of Israel that this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. And then he goes on to tell them that they are to take up this contribution in verse 5. Now again... It's not explicit here, but if you think about it for a moment, this is a a rather wonderful episode that we're witnessing. When did God command this to take place? Well, we can imagine that in part, and we're going to talk about this in a second, the command for the people of Israel to do what they're doing here happened when Moses had gone back onto the mountain for those 40 days and 40 nights where he met met with the Lord as he renewed covenant with the people of Israel through the mediator Moses. No doubt that that's the case. But it's important for us even to remember for a moment where we actually hear these commands given initially. 
And that's actually back in chapter 25 of the book of Exodus. You may remember that as we preached fairly, um, a fairly detailed exposition of chapter 25 through chapter 31. And the beginning of that section was a instruction on the part of the Lord to Moses the first time Moses was on the mountain for him to take up this kind of a contribution. And you'll remember, of course, that as God was telling Moses to take up this contribution, this would have been the first that Moses was beginning to hear about the tabernacle. This would have been the first time where the Lord was communicating to Moses that he was actually going to come and he was going to build, as it were, a house, a tent for himself so that he could dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. You see, back in chapter 25, this construction, this contribution which precedes this construction was part and parcel of God's covenantal commitment to his people. He had covenanted to be their God and they were going to be his people and to show that, to signify that, and to actualize that, he was going to come and dwell in their midst through the construction of this tabernacle. You see, even at the very first inclination we have that something like this is going to happen, we see God's incredible grace towards his people. Even there in chapter 25, we realize that what God is doing is he is doing something, he is preparing to do something rather, that he has not done again since the garden. He is coming to dwell at close proximity with his people. The grace of God's covenantal commitment lies behind verses 4 and verse 5. But of course, that's not all that lies behind verses 4 and verse 5. If we think about it for a moment, you might be tempted to ask a question here. You know that the Lord calls on the people of Israel to take up a contribution. But it's not just any kind of contribution we see there at the end of verse 5 that the Lord is calling for a contribution of gold and of silver, excuse me, and of bronze and of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twine linens, etc. You see, God is not calling for the people of Israel to take up just common everyday items. He's calling them to take up some rather incredibly expensive and precious elements, materials, And to give them to him. Now you may say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you think about it for a moment, where did the slaves, right? I mean, this is who we're talking about. These are slaves. These are people who were literally just oppressed for four centuries. Where did they get this material in the first place? Now think about that for a second. Some of you are probably... Uh, coming to mind, or it's coming to mind for some of you immediately, but for some of you, you may not remember... But the only possible answer to that question is this must be the gold and the silver and the bronze and the precious fabrics that they received when they left out of Egypt and the people of Egypt gave to them all of that wonderfully expensive material as the Lord moved them to bless their people. It's really what we refer to back in the Exodus in chapter 12 as the plundering of the Egyptians. 
Where did the people of Israel get this material that they are supposed to bring to the Lord? Where they got it when the Lord God delivered them out of the midst of Egypt. And when he delivered them out of the midst of Egypt, he didn't just allow them to leave with the clothes on their backs and maybe a few petty possessions, but he blessed them such that when they left that land of oppression, they came out born or bearing the gifts of that nation, the glorious gifts of that nation, the precious gifts of that nation. Some commentators actually point out here that some of these fabrics that are being referred to couldn't have been found anywhere else in the ancient world at this time except for in one place, and that was Egypt. Now, when you contemplate where the people of Israel got this material to begin with, it it raises several uh, points in our mind. But the first one is simply this, that what lies behind the command given here is not only the grace of covenant making that the Lord entered into the people of Israel or entered into with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, but it's also the grace of deliverance that lies behind this command. It's presupposed here. It's embedded in what the Lord requests. But it's not just the grace of covenant commitment. It's not just the grace of deliverance that lie behind this. Of course, the immediate context that this passage is found in is the grace of covenant renewal. And we've already spoken about that very briefly. But I don't think it's any accident, friend, that there are two places in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel take up a contribution. Do you remember the first? The first is in Exodus chapter 32, if you remember. Whenever Aaron put out the call for the people to bring all of their gold to him so that he could make the golden calf. That's an interesting parallel that exists in our text here. The first time that they were bringing their gold that they got from the land of Egypt to Aaron, who they had sought to replace Moses with, was so that they could create for themselves an object of worship. Now that's a remarkable thing to consider whenever we look at this text. And we consider here that what is taking place is that these people who had rebelled in such a horrendous way against the Lord, these people who had committed that great act of spiritual infidelity, who had experienced what we've spoken about in the past as a, as a terrible spiritual disaster, which overtook them there at the mountain as they rebelled against the Lord. These people the ones who had sought to make their own God, as it were, so that they could worship Him instead of Yahweh. These people are the people who now have the opportunity to make contributions for the tabernacle so that the Lord God can dwell in their midst and He can be their God and they can be His people. There is here, I think, a threefold demonstration of the grace of God that stands behind this text. It's implied, it's not explicit, but it's there if you look for it, isn't it? God seeks to deliver the people. He seeks to enter into covenant with the people, and yet he demonstrates his glorious grace to them that even when they sought to rebel against him, even when they sought to spit in the face of his kindness and his mercy, He renewed covenant with them and he blessed them and entered in again to that arrangement. 
And brothers and sisters, I simply want to say this to you this evening, that the prerequisite for the generous hearts of the people of God is the abundant grace of God towards his people. This, brethren, is the root of the generosity that we are going to see displayed throughout the rest of the chapter. The Lord has been good to his people. And as he has demonstrated this immense goodness to his people, he has called them then to respond with selfless generosity. That's what we see here as the text continues and even as it has begun. The Lord here has called the people and he has called them to make an offering. Now you note here that this is not a tax. That's important. Now, the Lord does make taxes against his people, or he brings taxes uh, forward for his people. We noted that earlier as we were reading about the census tax, which was meant, if you remember, to uh, sustain the ministry of the tabernacle. It was meant to allow for the continuation, repairs to be made to the priestly garments and to all the various aspects of the tabernacle ministry. It's not that the Lord is against that, but here, in this particular instance, the Lord chooses to allow his people, as it were, to demonstrate their own generosity by bringing to him a free will offering. And that's the first thing I want to see as we consider there, moving from the root of their generosity to the fruit of their generosity, how they respond. They respond with generous hearts. And we see that there even in verse 5. See, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And we see it reiterated over and over and over again. We see, for, for instance, in verse 21, that everyone whose spirit moved him brought a contribution to the Lord. We see it in verse 22. All who are of a willing heart brought these various contributions to the Lord. Uh, we see it throughout the text, particularly in verse 29. All the men and the women of the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything brought a free will offering. Now, some commentators see here, and I think they perhaps are correct, another parallel to the episode with the golden calf. You know that in the episode of the golden calf, Aaron doesn't ask for a contribution. It's more of a command. He basically says, hey, bring me all your gold so I can make this idol. And the people do that. But in this instance... That's not how it works. The Lord, rather, seeks to rely on the generosity of his people. And as he does so, he shows us that the outworking of a generous heart is a willingness to give self-sacrificially on the part of his people. You notice that here. You notice what the people are called to bring. Again, we've made note of this earlier. The people are not bringing to the Lord cheap material. They're not bringing their everyday uh, clothing for the Lord. They're not bringing their uh, everyday eating utensils for the Lord. What they're bringing to the Lord is their best. You see, the call that goes out here for the people to be generous is a call that goes out for the people to give self-sacrificially to the Lord. What he's requiring of them here is something that, quite frankly, would have probably hurt a little bit. It wasn't going to be an easy task. Again, think about the fact that these people were not that long ago slaves in Egypt. 
Imagine what it would be like to you if you were a slave. You had nothing, basically. And all of a sudden, you found yourself in possession of great wealth. Would you really be looking to give that up? Would you really be ready and willing if someone came to you and said, look, I really need all of your gold to say, sure, just go ahead and take it right now. Maybe you would be, but if you were, you would know that it would bring a little bit of pain. And yet the people are willing. They're willing to do what the Lord is calling them to do. They're willing because they have generous hearts in response to the immense grace of God. And even as we think about this example, we are reminded of the principle that really lies behind all of our own giving. But where did they get it? Well, they got it from the Lord to begin with, didn't they? And they had it for the sake of His glory, not their own. They weren't meant ever to trust in the riches that they were given as they came out of the land of Egypt. That's not what the Lord intended. The Lord had been working, even back then, even as he delivered them out of the land of Egypt so that they would possess the materials necessary to construct the tent of meeting and so that they could experience the greatest blessing. Of course, the greatest blessing is not to be rich. It's not to have silver. It's not to have gold. It's not to have bronze. It's not to have nice clothing. It's not to have fine twine linen. And it's not to have tan ram skins. It's to have the Lord God of Israel dwelling in our midst it's to have communion and fellowship with our God the Lord gave it to them and he gave it to them so that they would use it for his glory and for the good of all of his people in the extension and establishment of his worship I I think really the application for us this evening is not it's not really a great stretch is it We may not be handing over our golden goblets into the offering trays. I started to ask the deacons this evening what they would do if people put bars of gold in the offering plate. I wouldn't suggest that. I don't know if we have a way to deal with it. But we are called to be willing, to be willing to give of our best and to give out of the abundance of the Lord's blessing to his people. Now, I almost feel bad bringing that application to this congregation because I, of all people, have experienced over and over and over again the generosity of Shiloh Presbyterian Church. Brothers and sisters, I think that the majority of you, at least, do a fantastic job at this. You have been good to me as individuals, and you have been good to me as a congregation. And yet it's important for us to realize the principle that's at play here, and I see it reflected in many of you. And I would encourage you in that. Continue in that. It's an encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an encouragement to other congregations. It's an encouragement to our denomination. It's an encouragement to all of your brothers that you have such a generous spirit. I would commend you for that and encourage you to continue in it. But I would say that perhaps some congregations, maybe this is one of them, have an easier time bringing those material possessions to the Lord than we do bringing what he requires next of his people. You notice that the Lord doesn't just ask for a contribution of physical materials. He doesn't just want their gold. He doesn't just want their their fabrics. 
He wants their talents and he wants their time. Did you notice that? In the text, he he not only puts the call out here for those who have materials to contribute, but he puts the call out for those who are able to contribute their skills and indeed their, their labor to the work of the tabernacle. We see it there in verse 10 when uh, Moses says to the people, let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. It's interesting here, we see uh, that the craftsmen are called on to come and do the work of building the furniture and establishing or building the tent and all of the the aspects of, of the tabernacle that they can contribute to. All of the men who probably had worked in Israel or in Egypt in the past and had some experience doing these kinds of things, they were called on to use those talents they had for the sake of the tabernacle. But you notice it's not just the men who were called on to do that. If you turn to verse 25, the Lord also puts the call out for the skillful women, the skillful woman who spun with her hands. They are to bring all of these things that are required for the tabernacle's construction to the Lord and to make a contribution. It's interesting to see here that it's not just one group of people, but it's really the whole congregation of the Lord who is called on to dedicate their talents and indeed their time to the contributions of the tabernacle, to build the tabernacle, to establish the place of worship. And beloved, I would ask you this evening, again, I I think that Sometimes in congregations, we can fall into one of these two categories. At least that's been my experience. Sometimes congregations have the resources such that they are willing to give money. They're willing to give monetarily to the work of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really not a burden to them in some ways. But they may not be as willing to give of their time and of their abilities to the work of the church. And again, I think we see here that both are called on. And you are to be willing to do everything that the Lord has need of in His kingdom. Beloved, the Lord is generous and gracious to His people. And as we consider this text... We didn't dive into the details of this text again, as we've done oftentimes in these particular sections of the book of Exodus. We we kind of took principles from out of this particular passage and sought to apply them to ourselves as is appropriate. And in this case, I think the applications are fairly obvious once again. The people of God are called on to respond to the grace of God with generous hearts. The people of God are meant to call, are called on by the grace of God to respond to his glorious goodness towards his people by being willing to sacrifice of their own money and of their own time and of their own talent for the work of God in his church. Now, brethren, I hope that we have the same heart that we see in the people of Israel here in Exodus chapter 35. Again, I've experienced a great blessing from this congregation. I have no doubt that this is true, at least of some, if not most of you. 
And yet I would call us this evening to continue to fan the flames of that mindset in us. To continue to seek to outdo ourselves as we seek to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. Making contributions to his people and being willing to do whatever we can in this world to sustain his work by whatever contribution we can bring. Let us then, as those who have received the ultimate demonstration of God's grace towards sinners, as we sit as we do on the other side of the ministry of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we contemplate the amazing reality that the Lord God has given to us his own Son, so that we might be brought near to him. As we contemplate and meditate upon what God has done for us, let us be those who are willing to do abundantly for others in the kingdom of God and to establish the work of the church with our times and our talents and our goods. Let that be true of us, friends. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are again reminded of your goodness and your mercy towards your people, even as we contemplate the context in which we find the people of Israel here in chapter 35 of the book of Exodus. After all the sin and after all the rebellion and after all the hard-heartedness and the stiff-neckedness of your people, you are still good to them. And Father, indeed, you are still good to us. And we pray this evening that you would soften our hearts and that you would cultivate in us by your Spirit and through your Word hearts that are generous and that are willing to sacrifice for the sake of the glory of your name in this earth. We pray this in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom came and died and rose again for our sakes. Amen.